This is a deep dive. I'm leaving Chi. With the Chinese New Year still over two weeks away, holiday excitement has arrived much earlier than usual this year, as many provinces and cities are actively promoting themselves on social media to attract travelers. 好，我是贵州省大方县文体广电。好，我是新疆阿克苏地区沙雅县文体。我是大县文旅局阿里巴克穆罕。The tourism gala began in Harbin, known as the Ice City, over a month ago. And China's annual real-life winter wonderland returns with the opening of the International Ice and Snow Festival in the northeastern city, city of Harbin. Has been a major, major hit this winter season, welcoming flocks of tourists from across the country. So, what's made this frosty city? This winter, the city of Harbin has become the center of attention due to an unprecedented travel rush. The surge in tourism has sparked extensive discussions online, with hashtags related to Harbin trending for weeks across the country. Even tourism officials from Switzerland have joined the conversation. How has Harbin managed to sustain this level of popularity for weeks? What significance does the tourism boom hold for the ice city? And more importantly, will China's Northeast be able to convert this surge in tourism into a long-term momentum that'll benefit the region's economy in the years to come? To delve into these questions, I spoke with my colleague Dou Hongyu. This episode is brought to you on Sunday, January the twenty-first. So this time, the popularity of Harbin has really created a social media gala that we have seen the tourism bureaus from many other regions interacting with Harbin to attract travelers. And earlier this week, even Switzerland has also joined the hashtags. But before everything,、um, Hongyu, can you first walk us through how this city became the hottest destination? Well, first we need to know that Harbin is in the northernmost province of China, the Heilongjiang province, and before it became the hottest tourist destination, it was already very well known about its ice and snow culture. The whole story this time began with an incident with the Harbin Ice and Snow World. About a month ago, over forty thousand tourists flocked into this resort. That was kind of above the receptionability of this resort, so many tourists had to wait for hours under minus twenty degrees Celsius outdoors to wait for an opportunity to experience some of the popular activities, such as taking an icy ride. So some of them became angry and frustrated, and they demanded refund from the resort. I don't think this is a hundred percent the fault of the resort, but what Harbin did about this was way out of people's expectation. First, it was the local officials from the Department of Culture and Tourism coming to the resort, guiding their work on site, and then the resort apologized publicly and announced their concrete plans to improve their services, such as increasing the number of volunteers and reception workers. To provide more information for tourists, it is this kind of sincerity, this kind of attitude, that drew a lot of attention on the internet. And since the information spreads very quickly on social media,、hmm. Harbin became the hottest tourist destination online. Right, and as we spoke at the beginning, that many tourism bureaus from other regions have also been contributing to the hashtags about Harbin, and. 
Is this a major factor that the popularity of this of Harbin has maintained on quite a high level over a long period of time? Yes, this is indeed one of the major factors because. To become suddenly popular online, you need some luck. But to maintain this popularity,、right. you need way more efforts from not just the government, but also the interaction of the whole society. You need to feed something new to the public from time to time, so that、mm. you can keep active online. And what the local government is doing is to show the public what they can offer to tourists. For example, they. Built a lot of giant ice and snow statues to attract people's attention, and also they invited people of ethnic minorities to show their special clothes and their special cultures on the streets. And also, the government is trying to provide better services for tourists, like offering hot beverages and、mm. meeting whatever needs raised by the tourists. So it's all the small things, services that contribute to the overall traveling experience. Yes, exactly, because it's the most tangible benefits for tourists, and they're also fun to watch. For example, there is a quite well-known tourist site in Harbin, which is called the Saint Sophia Cathedral. Once, some tourists said that it would be better if they could see the snowy scenery with a moon above this cathedral.、Hmm. And what Harbin did was to use some drones to suspend an artificial moon above the cathedral square. A lot of tourists stopped by and took pictures of that moon as well as the cathedral. And the pictures also went viral on the internet. There was even a hashtag about this. It is the combination of better services and the showcasing of local specialties that can keep. This city active on the social media platforms for a really long time,、hmm. and I can only imagine that this surge in tourism must be a great opportunity for many local businesses. Do you have some specific numbers on how much economic benefit the travel has brought to the city? Yes, let's just take a look at the New Year holiday. Harbin raked in six billion yuan in tourism. That's about. Eight hundred and thirty million U.S. dollars, and that means a lot for Harbin because that is over four times what Heilongjiang, the whole Heilongjiang province, earned in tourism during last year's New Year holiday. This figure shows that such tourism boom is not only important for Harbin but also for the whole Heilongjiang province. And what is more important than that is that this brings hope for the success of transformation. Which local people have been aching for decades. I mean, not only people in Harbin, but also in the whole northeastern region in China. So this tourist boom is really helping a lot for China's efforts to revitalize the northeastern region. And this concept,、um, northeastern revitalization, this may not be a strange topic for people from the northeast, but for those that are from other parts of the world, they may wonder why this region in the northeast needs to be revitalized. And could you explain what's the challenge there? The first major challenge is related to its GDP growth. The GDP in northeastern China has not been satisfying for a really long time. Let's still take Harbin as an example.、Um, last year, its GDP was not among the top fifty among all the cities in China. And let's not forget, it's the provincial capital city, and not to mention the other cities. 
and the growth rate of GDP in Harbin has been lower than the national average. And there's also problems with its industrial structure. The proportion of the tertiary industry in Harbin has been dropping for five consecutive years. They're not happy to see it because they're trying to reduce their reliance on the second industry and move their focus towards the tertiary industry. Before the pandemic, tourism contributed 30% of local GDP, but in 2022, it's only about 9.1%. And at the same time, the whole economy in northeastern China is in lack of vitality. Let's take a look at the private economy, which is a barometer of economic vitality. Among the top 500 private enterprises in China, only five are in northeastern China, 1%. And in one single province in eastern China, Zhejiang province, there are over 100 top 500 private enterprises. In the meantime, the mineral resources in the region, which was once the pillar of their industry, has been nearly exhausted. There are over 69 cities in China where over 70% of the mineral resources have been exhausted. Over one third of them are in northeastern China. And this is also why the region is trying to shift its focus from the second industry to the tertiary industry. And based on all the problems that I've mentioned, the population has been shrinking over the past decades, hmm. especially the talents are leaving. There are a number of prestigious universities in northeastern China, but the college students just don't want to stay in that region because of the challenges that the region has been facing. So the whole northeastern region has been in a vicious circle that it's trying to escape. Hmm. I believe many people from Northeast and uh, people who know a bit of history will remember it was a completely different story, maybe just a few decades ago. Indeed. Yeah. How was the Northeast like in the past? The Northeastern region was once one of the most important and one of the wealthiest region in China. After the founding of the People's Republic in 1949, over 98% of China's heavy industry was in northeastern China. 98%. Yes, and their production in heavy industry exceeded Japan to lead Asia back then. Um, especially during the first five-year plan in the 1950s, this region was supported by the Soviet Union. It helped with 156 key industrial products in China, and over one-third of them were in the Northeast. None of them were in Shanghai. So from this, you can see how important that region was for China back then. China's very first automotive manufacturing plant was in the Northeast. Hmm. They produced the very first homemade truck. They produced the very first fighter jet in China, etc. So it was once hmm. called the cradle of Chinese industry. The development and the construction of China back then was heavily reliant on the development of northeastern China. For example, over half of the petroleum and over one-third of the wood, over one-tenth of the coal in China was transported from Heilongjiang province. And by 1978, when China started to reform and opening up, among the top 10 cities with the highest GDP, three were in northeastern China, namely Harbin, Changchun, and Shenyang. And how did the Northeast become a powerhouse of China's economy in the first place? 
Well, the foundation of the heavy industry in northeastern China was laid during war times. During over a decade between the 1930s and 1940s, the region, a large part of the region, was occupied by Japan. They built factories. They exploited resources for military use in order to further invading China, but their exploitation was very fast and unsustainable. In the 1940s, over 50 percent of China's industry was for military use for Japan, and it reached a peak in 1943, when over 90 percent of iron and steel in China was produced in northeastern China. And then, in the late 1940s, during the Civil War and during the war to resist U.S. aggression and aid Korea in the early 1950s, the region became a crucial supply base, providing weapons. So, the fast exploitation and development during the war times laid foundation for this heavy industry, and it has left several major industrial bases in northeastern China. And after 1949. The country increased investment in northeastern China, and the region was also economically or technically supported by the Soviet Union. So that's how it became the powerhouse of China's economy in the first place. Probably a more important question is how did the region's economy lose its vitality in the following years? It started with China's reform and opening up, which began from the year 1978. Back then, China decided to open its market to the world, and a lot of investors flocked into China, and they started to pick the places that they prefer. For investors, both from China and from the other countries, they would prefer the places with super ports,、right. and the super ports have to be close to main international waterways. It would be better if they are also close to river networks on the Chinese land, so that they can transport their materials or products with a lower cost. Such super ports cannot be too cold in winter, because if so, the water would be frozen. The shipping would be halted. Now there are only two areas in China that can meet such criteria. One is in eastern China; it's the Yangtze River Delta, and the other is the Zhujiang River Delta in southern China. So, northeastern China lost its strength compared with the other regions. And another reason why the region fell into recession is that its business environment is not good enough. Part of the reason is because investors don't like this place, and the second is that. This region is the first place in China to start planned economy and the last to step on the path towards market economy. The local businesses were, for a very long period of time, dominated by state-owned enterprises, which are less flexible compared with private enterprises. Over the past few decades, people have formed such a perception that the business environment in northeastern China is bad. So the Northeast had some glorious days in the past, and then a tough period. And now the unexpected travel rush must be a precious opportunity to revitalize this region. And people are also wondering how long this popularity will last, because almost a year ago we saw the rise to fame of Zibo in Shandong Province, and. It's only a natural thing that this kind of fame wouldn't last forever, and then life goes back to normal. You joined Deep Dive for that very episode, and you're actually from there as well. 
Is there any similarity between the stories of Zibo and now Harbin? Well, Zibo and Harbin are both cities based on their resources in the past. Zibo was also heavily reliant on heavy industry. It was once the industrial powerhouse for its、uh, Shandong province, and also like Harbin, it's been struggling to find a way out from、uh, the past pattern of development. And last year, Zibo suddenly. Become a hot topic on the internet because of its very special style of barbecue,、hmm. and also like Harbin, the local government and the local people displayed very great abilities to provide good services to the tourists, which drew a lot of people to this city. And in the case of Harbin, how likely will the northeastern city sustain this travel rush? Is it possible to maybe channel this traffic? Into some other areas that might benefit the region in the long run. We can take a short glimpse into the near future of Harbin by looking at what is happening with Zibo right now. From my observation, right now the number of people in Zibo is definitely way lower than the time when it was super popular on the internet. But now you can see way more people than before the online frenzy. I think this will be the same for Harbin. It cannot. Stay on its peak all the time. I mean, the hot topics will one day die down on the internet, and people will stop talking about this place. But what is more important at that time would be what is left for the city after this tourism craze. In the short term, it will enjoy GDP growth, and there are a lot of long-term benefits. People would change previous stereotypes or perception towards this city by remembering it as a city with. Quite good business environment, and the local government do welcome more people coming there. At the end of last year, about one hundred and forty thousand private enterprises were invited to be engaged in an investigation about what are the most popular destinations for investment. They were asked to rate all the cities and provinces in China in terms of business environment. And for the very first time, Zibo was among the top ten cities with the best business environment, and it was also among the top ten cities with the best reputation among the private enterprises. Such an online frenzy and such an opportunity can help the city to change its perception in people's minds. I believe this will be the same for Harbin, because Harbin also needs to change people's stereotypes about its business environment. And this will bring more investors to this place, and furthermore, it will draw more talents to the city. It will boost its local consumption. It will help promote its local brands, and even help the surrounding areas to further develop. So there are a lot of long-term benefits that we need to keep an eye on. And in the case of Harbin, does it offer a lesson to other Chinese cities?、Um, whether it- It's the cities with heavy industries or heavily reliant on natural resources. So, does it offer such a lesson to these cities that are transitioning from traditional to modern economic models? Now, there are over 120 cities with old traditional industrial bases, and over 260 cities based on、uh, mineral resources. And for the cities that are heavily based on its natural resources. They would generally go through five stages. The first is construction, and then prospering, and then recession, 
and then transformation. And the last one is revitalization or not being able to recover, which we don't want to see. Industrial cities may have to go through these stages, and they may also need to go through a long period of transformation like Zibo and Harbin did. But I think right now, since we're at a time when China's focus of economic work is to boost domestic consumption, those cities need to first figure out their strength, what they can offer to people coming to their cities. And also, they need to demonstrate their abilities to provide good services for tourists. And at the same time, they need to keep improving their business environment and try to be more flexible. Although we can say that they were once abandoned by the times, they should always try to keep up with the times and use the internet or other like technologies to empower themselves. I remember that about a year ago when Zibo was a quite popular topic online, we were talking about who would be the second. And now it turned out it was Harbin.、Mm. And now there are already discussions about who would be the third or the fourth or the fifth. I think this shows that people in China are starting to have more confidence that these old industrial cities will one day get out of those vicious circles. Okay, and last Hong Yu, just a yes or no question. Do you see yourself traveling to Harbin or the Northeast in the near future? A resounding yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Over the weekend, data shows that Shenyang, another city in northeast China, is seeing a staggering growth of over 800 percent on its holiday bookings during the upcoming Spring Festival. What makes this phenomenon particularly noteworthy is the impact on China's northeast, a region that has been grappling with a declining population and a sluggish economy for decades. The sudden surge in interest in tourism in Harbin is injecting a much-needed vitality into the region, offering a glimmer of hope for its long-term development. The region's ability to capitalize on this newfound attention and sustain its momentum will be crucial in determining its future trajectory. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Deep Dive. If you enjoyed what you just heard, don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform. Just search for Deep Dive. You can also leave comments to let us know what you want to learn about China and beyond. This episode is brought to you by me, Li Wingqi, and my colleagues Zhang Zhang and Qi Zhi. Special thanks to CGTN Radio reporter Dou Hongyu. I'll see you in the next one.